If it's not one thing, it's got to be another. In this day and age of expensive groceries, uh, from the endless taxation of gasoline, and we also have a situation where, according to the UN Secretary General and Al Gore, of course, we're entering into the age of global boiling. Imagine that, and things will end in 2030, likely. So who knows? But in this time, it seems like everything is pretty absurd. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. So today we're going to be talking about absurdity with our guest, Elizabeth Nixon. And uh, welcome, Elizabeth. Hi. Elizabeth, um, I'm really honored to have you uh, join us. Um, you have done an awful lot of uh, very interesting investigative journalism. You've written for um, many of the leading publications in the world, uh, whether you were uh, um, a journalist for Time Magazine or the uh, European Bureau Chief for uh, Life Magazine, as I recall. You've also written for The Guardian, The National Post, The Globe and Mail, um, Harper's, um, to, to just name a few. You've also written many books, and uh, you're also a fellow at the Frontier Center, so we're delighted to have you. Well, I'm delighted to be a fellow at the Frontier Center. <laughs> well, um, I'm excited about our discussion today because, you know, we'll, we'll be covering an awful lot of topics, and I think a lot of them relate to the wide range of themes that you cover within your Substack, which is really quite fascinating. And you called it Absurdistan, if I, if, if I get that uh, pronunciation correctly. But why did you call it Absurdistan? Well, apparently, David, it has um, a root in the, um, in the Eastern uh, states, uh, East Berlin and Hungary during the Soviet takeover it was just when when they imposed those sets of uh, authoritarian rules everything became absurd and they actually called it absurdistan but they used the b a p instead of the d oh i see uh, somebody sent somebody sent me the crest that they use so i very much think that canada is going hard marxist and much of what's happening is absurd. But most particularly when I researched, traveled to research uh, uh, eco-fascists in the States, but also here, uh, I found that regulations were written in such a way so that nobody could get through. Uh, if you wanted to build a ski hill or if you wanted to um, uh, build a mine. Uh, you had so many strange layers of regulation that sometimes if you got through one process, which would take you a year or two and cost you maybe half a million dollars, there was another layer, which if you had made one tiny error in that process, and there are lots of opportunities for error, you would immediately run into a wall and your project would be finished. 
And it was, it was written so tightly, all of this was written so tightly uh, and clearly coordinated in order to stop growth, to stop economic growth. Now that made me very angry. It made me very, very angry because it meant that ordinary people who were not connected could not get a foot on the ladder. They were, you know, relegated to surf status no matter what. There was no, no creativity or energy or uh, brilliance that could get them through the, through the maze of regulation um, at, at, in any way. And so I would visit farmer after rancher after forester, and the same thing came up over and over and over again. And then I started with the engineers that were in the Forest Service and all the other, um, you know, earth, air, land and water uh, agencies. And they said, look, in 1970, we were told de-development. And I would just not believe them, but it, it was said so many times to me that if you joined the for, for U.S. Forest Service in the 70s, you were told we are no longer expanding, we are stalling or contracting, and that's your job. So I find that fascinating. So how do you then develop a healthy skepticism of issues that are happening and and we know that and and bear with me but in my own experience issues are sometimes black and white but often there's a complexity to them i refer to it as peeling the onion there's different layers of complexity i guess what i'm getting at is that who is serving whom here is a kind of a, a primary question we all need to ask is when we see an issue uh what is really going on are the people in power serving the people or are the people being used? Is that kind of like a kind yeah. of a primary principle that 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 you struggle with in your work? Yes. Um, well, I, I've come to the conclusion that our government in Canada, the Liberals and the NDP, are very much not serving the people, and mm. they are serving some higher purpose that we don't know about. And I'm mm. not when I say higher, I don't mean better. I mean that they. I think there's a collaboration between um, international socialism and the World Economic Forum. So what do you think is really going on here then when it comes to the UN talking about um, a plan of, of 2030 to um, get rid of, of carbon dioxide? It, it almost sounds Orwellian, 1984, where you're taking words or facts and, and flipping them on their head. Is, is that what's yeah. going on here? For To what end? Yeah, um, I think it's, a, um, it's, it's really to stop um, population growth and to start drawing down the population. Hmm. I don't know why they want to do that because it, it, it seems absurd, um, but there, there, there is so much evidence that all of the people who run these programs profoundly believe that the earth is overpopulated and they believe it as an ex they believe it as an existential fact or they're using that belief in others to manipulate the situation okay. and I, I i can't really fathom the depth 
of their um, corruption. So that's a very different point of view, a view that you don't really hear often is this notion that somehow um, humans are the problem. It's almost like an anti-human perspective. And I guess that's a symptom then of very deep value differences. And, And I'll get to that in a second, the sense that a lot of us have been taught that every human being is precious and made in the image of the divine. But if you don't believe that, then I guess human beings are like animals. Yeah. They're to be used as instruments or tools. Is that, is that yeah. it? Not that I, I treat animals poorly. No, but um, they're just to be part of a power game. Is that kind of where this gets down to the nub of the issue? I think so. Yeah, I do. Wow. Um, yeah. I, 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 one of the things that has always intrigued me about modern literature is that when I was growing up in Canada, um, everybody went to church. It may not have been that everybody loved going to church. And certainly Mm -hmm. my generation and the generation that followed wasn't, you know, all that keen, but you kind of had to go. And that was the case in Canada from its founding as a, by Europeans or mostly the English or the Brits. Um, that everybody went to church in my family, which is, you know, seventh or eighth generation Canadian and 20th generation American. It was a Christian family and every other family was Christian. And we, we would sit there every Sunday for 400 years and listen to the fact that humans are sacred and equal under the, under God. Right. And once we, split off from that in the 60s humans became a virus very very quickly Mm. i mean in terms of the sort of primitive management of humans the fact that you had to go to church every sunday and listen to that even if you were an evil capitalist you knew that you had to do something you know you had to pick people up and my family was particularly charitable, I think, because they'd been here for a very long time and they were prosperous. But they saw that as more important than success. I mean, success was very important. It was obviously necessary. Mm-hmm. But the next step, um, you were not an adult unless you were working in the community directly facing other people's distress. And once we lost that, we disconnected, we assigned all that to government. We lost our, we lost part of our humanity. You know, that that's a, again, a perspective you don't, we perhaps have taken for granted and now we don't really hear about it. But, you know, I, I look at the world through the lens of kind of classical liberalism and we'd say, well, a very important part of a high functioning society is to have um, a very important set of shared values. And one of which was, Yes, a belief that every individual is precious and that they're equal um, under the law, uh, including the king, queen, or prime minister. But these shared values were very important in terms of how we lived in peace as a society and how we got along together well. And yeah, Yeah. so this is all interrelated, isn't it, Elizabeth? Yeah. Yeah, there was a a very bad split in the the late 60s that um that that really turned us to the dark side 
Now, what do, what do you mean by that in, in the sense of culture or values or, or what do you, well, what are you I mean, referring to? I, I, don't, I don't know whether you watch television or premium television, but um, I and I stopped a while ago, but it's all very, very dark now. There's nothing mm. positive. And every, every single person is um, so flawed and so, you know, mean and... Um, and dark and you know they are afflicted with addictions and so all the models in our culture now are 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 dark and and mm. and demonic and our heroes are are billionaires with excessive i mean it's it's really a corrupted culture from mm -hmm. from my perspective um, yeah so we so you're you're really challenging us to say wow the culture that we drink in is very reflective of what's going on within our minds and indeed our souls. Yeah. And we need to pay attention to that. So um, yeah. I think that's all the more reason why we need to uh, look at our own family life and say, wow, what are we consuming in terms of, of media and culture? And that's why I think the emergence of, of new uh, media networks is so important, isn't it? It's, it's critical. I mean, I think it, I think new media is growing so fast mm -hmm. that uh, we can hardly keep up. And old media is dying. Uh, nobody's watching these premium channels anymore. Um, they, they are losing subscribers. Disney is going to have to sell Disney World. It's so, uh, Netflix has lost millions of subscribers this year alone. Um, the CBC, which we, you know, pay 1.4 billion a year into it, it its news only reaches 1.34% of the, uh, of the Canadian populace. Oh, really? I didn't realize One, it was quite that low now. It is. Wow. It's 1.34%. And most of that is radio. Um, mm. they, all that, that world is dying and, mm -hmm. and not fast enough, David. Yeah. Not so in that case, like if you look at the um, the CBC or a lot of these issues, is it fair to say a lot of it is when you have state actors, um, e.g. politicians, politicize things around them? So instead of acting honorably um, to safeguard the function and role of those institutions, they use them cynically as a tool, as a as a weapon to go after their political opponent. So I don't mean this in a non I, I mean this truly in a nonpartisan way. They they politicize everything around them and they use it as leverage to move and advance power. Is that again the common theme here? Without trying yeah. to sound like I'm not paying attention. Yes. Well, I mean they're trying they're using mind control. I mean, mind control has developed to the point where they now can use it on mass, mass people. Now, what do you, and, what do you mean by they, mind control, though, Elizabeth? Like, surely. Well, I mean, they, they'll analyze what a population needs. Like, for instance, the environmental left. They'll say, well, they need this. They need to hear this. And then they will take uh, the uh, suburban middle class and they need to hear that. Mm -hmm. And then they identify the evil doers who mm -hmm. are, for the Liberal Party anyway, the right, the f extreme far right, which I suppose I am. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, and then they they say they and then they set all three at each other. So okay. they try to divide the culture and set people at each other. So they're too busy fighting or arguing. Um, and they've caused look at look at our families. I mean, we can't we can't agree about anything anymore. Mm. You have to actually go into a family situation and not talk about anything important if you want to get out okay. without having started fights or arguments. Right. That is deliberate. That was created. That was deliberately created by our governments. Okay, so there's an old saying: "A house divided cannot stand." So, yeah. are you inferring that? they're kind of using a lot of people in power use the old playbook. You want to divide people. You want to create some measure of conflict so that uh, they don't work in unity yes. to build this country, but rather than you can exercise your power as you see fit. Is that, yes. is that kind of another way of saying it? That's exactly what they, what they're doing. And, and um, uh I think that the current liberal government, because they are so close to the World Economic Forum, are using the World Economic Forum's behaviorists mm. to craft messages for Canadians. We're almost a test case because we're way out on the mm -hmm. on the leading edge of what Agenda 2030 wants from people from the West. Uh, by which I mean the democratic West, Western Europe and the US and Canada mm. and Australia and New Zealand, they want us to shut our, our, uh, our economies down so that we have a typical one, one and a half percent growth and uh, our middle class deteriorates hmm. um, because a, middle, a healthy middle class can fight back. Wow. And that's what they want. And and they're very clear about it, David. It's it's in all their founding documents. It's right there in black and white. And and every no matter which um, institute you look into, whether it's Tavis, Tavistock or the Stanford Research Institute or um, any of the Rand Institute, all of military intelligence, they all have these founding documents that this is the way the culture must go. Hmm. It, it, it's, they, they couch it in language that says this is uh, going to be good. And they, but their, their fundament is that we don't have enough resources. So, so we must control and draw down activity and of course the whole climate change fiction thing but that's that's what that's what's going on you know i i guess you know if i think of the the kind of the extreme measures that are being talked about when it comes to the environment today i think you know it, to me it's it's very interesting case study it's an example where you ask why is this happening where you have a so-called just transition being implemented um, where they're trying to close Canadian oil and gas. Um, this will have huge implications on people's Terrible. lives. Terrible. And what, what's driving this? I know that one of the things that you've talked about in the past, I think it's in um, a number of the papers actually you've done with, with Frontier over the years, has been 
the so-called iron triangle, um, the, yes. the relationship between scientists, um, the media, and then uh, politicians. And there's a kind of a, almost a perverse circular relationship that creates kind of an industry that funds yes. all this. Is that, yes. can you tell us more about that? No, the iron triangle, the environmental iron triangle is um, uh, bureaucrats, environmental NGOs, and politicians, and they just work together over and over. And they often, um, it, it's it's less common for uh, environmental activists to become politicians, but they do. Uh, it's more common for them to move from bureaucracy to NGO back mm. and forth. And that is, um, that's really bad because what happens is that the, 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 these projects get funded and nobody really knows about them. N no one knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, for instance, Peter Holly was telling me that, um, RFK Jr. set aside an entire section of Western Manitoba. Uh, at one point and just set it aside so nobody can use it. I mean, there's so much of our country mm -hmm. that is very, very beautiful that is not being used because mm -hmm. um, the Westons have set it. Western Foundation, along with the Nature Conservancy of Canada, has set aside so much gorgeous land that could be used for people to live in, that could be used for recreation, that could be used for wonderful hotels, or mm -hmm. ski resorts, or just for people to visit, but now they just, they're empty. So if we turn to the citizen, what do you think Elizabeth, the citizen can do as they look at trying to be empowered, to be able to, well, participate in the democratic process so that we can actually, um, dare I say, turn our country, in your opinion, from a place of absurdistan to uh, a country of prosperity and, and democratic freedoms? Um, well, I think people are fighting back, don't you? I, I have a sense that this is an information war and that people are um, obsessively acquiring information uh, because of the growth of new media um, and the failure of old media. And people are some on an edge of panic. I sense that a lot of people are because a lot of um, if you try to destroy the middle class and every family's going to hurt. And when you're hurt, you start to look for reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why um, new media is growing so fast. And as a result, um, people have to actually get up and go to meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, have to go to their local meetings and they have to start to get involved that's the only way to do it uh in my region which is very very left-wing and very very green um we have a nascent movement of the ten thousand people on our island maybe a thousand of us are uh, fully awake to, as to what is going on. Mm -hmm. I would say about 3,000 are completely disengaged and the rest of them are brainwashed. And I would think that that was a, probably a pretty good um, pretty good uh, reading of the situation in Canada. I mean, that the recent polls show that everything that Polyev says is um, very popular 
uh, and everything that Trudeau says is very unpopular. So, so people, as long as people are are becoming aware and awake, the next step is that they have to get involved and they have to shake the tree and get these people out of there. Because one of the things that um, uh, that the uh, government has managed to do is to empower a lot of very left-wing people in local bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. And that has, that has been a terrible, terrible uh, mistake because um, either they're incompetent or they are just um, punitive. But in fact, you know, for instance, here, I love using this place as an example because it's so egregious. We have almost no uh, low cost housing. Uh, and there are a lot of people living in tents and in their cars and in trailers all over the place. And we are 90% of our land is under conservation. So that's 90% of free land. So there have been affordable housing um, projects on the board for 25 years that are still not approved. Despite the glaring need, and that is because um, our bureaucracy and the advisory committees around it, which is what every every local government has, are staffed by people on the left who, for some reason, don't want to house anyone. Mm-hmm. Because why? I don't understand. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, but they don't, and they fight it, and they fight it to the death, and they. They will do anything to stop the housing. So there, so unless people get involved on that kind of level, not much is going to change. Wow. I mean, even if, even if we elect uh, a, a new government and they're populist, these people are still going to be in place mm-hmm. and they're still going to be moving like, you know, like just like ice. They don't move. So, so, but what a, what a profound challenge to renew our society uh, for all of us to get involved uh, yeah. to get involved locally, to become better aware, uh, to mm-hmm. speak up. And um, so I think that's a that's a very good challenge, Elizabeth. It's a great career path for young people because there's so much to do. I mean, it would be, uh, it would fill a million new lives with purpose and, and, and you know, gravitas. So well said. Uh, Elizabeth Nixon, I'm so grateful that uh, you could join us for this conversation today about many things, including looking at the world in terms of how we renew our rights and freedoms and our responsibility as citizens. So thank you so much for joining us and thank you for your courage and your wisdom. (laughs) It's a great pleasure, David. Thank you. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.